on the field, inside the clubhouse, and everything in between. This is Brewers Weekly, live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Radio City. Here's Matt Pauley. A good Thursday evening to you. We might not have had Brewers baseball today, but don't you worry. We have Brewers Weekly with you till 9 o'clock tonight, talking all things Milwaukee Brewers baseball. We might even you know, take a little take a little journey outside of the Milwaukee Brewers and, and head south and discuss all the craziness that has been happening with uh, Tony La Russa, the Chicago White Sox manager. We're going to have a, a guest on from Chicago. Jared Willis is going to join us, uh, who uh, covers Chicago baseball for the Sun-Times and also uh, Forbes Sports, get his take on the, uh, the La Russa stuff. But outside of that... We, we got enough Brewers stuff to get to here for uh, the next 50 or so minutes. If you want to join us, you can do so. You can call or you can text into the Acunet Mortgage Talk and text line, 855-616-1620. That's 855-616-1620. Or you can tweet into the program at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. So here's the number one question when it comes to the Brewers. Because things, I'm not breaking any news here when I say things for the most part have not been going well. Things have been trending in the wrong direction. In fact, it's, it is remarkable and not remarkable in a good way. It is remarkable that on May 1st, the Brewers were 17-10 and 10 and had the best record in the National League. I, I, am, I am talking to you right now at 8.11 p.m. on May 20th. And in that time, since the 17 and 10 start to the season, the Brewers have gone just four and 12, and they now find themselves below 500. They just went into Kansas City to play a Royals team that had been slumping. They had their two guys; they had Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns starting each of those games, and they can't find a way to win either one. So clearly, clearly, things are not exactly trending in the correct direction. But should we be worried? I, for me, no, no, we shouldn't. Now, the uh, the current trends continue to move forward. It, we're we're having a different discussion here. And if you if they have if they go four and twelve over their next sixteen games, and all of a sudden are sitting what ten game? What would that? They'd be what nine games under five hundred at that point if they did that. They're one game under right now. I'm trying to do math in my head real quick, which is always a very dangerous proposition. But you 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 know the uh, the avenue I'm going down. If they have another 16-game stretch like they just had right off this one, I think at that point you do. Now that even, even then, even at that point, their season's not over. Their playoff chances are not gone. Yeah, there, There's folks who like to tell me all the time that the Brewers are currently playing themselves out of a playoff spot. And all I can do is look at the calendar and go, no, they're not. We're not we're not far enough into the season. Not enough games have been played. They're not far enough back in the standings. Now the Cardinals, Cardinals are playing some pretty good baseball. They've won six of their last ten. They've won two in a row. They've extended their lead in the division to three games. The Brewers are four games back of the Cardinals. They're one game back uh, of the Cubs. So again, I'm not I'm not trying to sugarcoat this, but the question isn't whether or not the Brewers are playing good baseball right now, because th- th- there's an easy answer to that. No, they're not playing good baseball. But should should you be worried? Is it time to panic about what's going on? And I don't think so. I just don't. I think this team is significantly better 
than the way that they are playing here at the moment. They are a, I'm not saying they are a great offensive team. In fact, I'll tell you they're not a great offensive team. But you don't have to be a great offensive team. But are they better than a team that's hitting 213? Yeah. They're not the worst offensive team in the National League from a hitting standpoint. I know that. I don't know what it's going to take for them to turn this thing around. I thought their their Kansas City game yesterday, yeah, that was yesterday. I thought that was uh I liked their approach. They were going the other way. They were having some productive outs where you might have a runner on at second and they were moving them to third with a with an out that was going to the right side of the infield. They were doing some things like that that were good to see. The team still strikes out more than you'd want them to strike out and they still can't come up with a hit with runners in scoring position seemingly and that's the big one. That's if if you want to choose one statistic over any other statistic in that that this team currently has attached to them it's their inability seemingly to hit with runners in scoring position i always kind of laugh when we start the brewers extra innings post game show that's the first thing i look at when when the game gets over what what did they finish and then as soon as that if they lose the game the thing we're generally leading with the reason that they end up losing a game more often than not is because they went 2 for 15 with runners in scoring position or 1 for 12 with runners in scoring position or or even crazier that first game against Kansas City where they never even had an at bat with a runner in scoring position because of their uh, offensive struggles that evening so I'm I'm not telling you that everything's going well because everything is not going well and they've they've got a lot of work to do. But what I am telling you is it's not time to panic. They're not playing themselves out of the postseason right now. This is a better team than the way they're playing right now. At least I, I, I strongly believe that. And I still believe that they're gonna be right there. I don't know if they're gonna be a playoff team or not. I can't make that prediction. But what can I what I can say is I still absolutely believe that this team is going to be at the very least in a playoff contention as we get into the uh, final month of the season. 855-616-1620 is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You could tweet into the program as well at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. When I come back, I want to get into uh, the shortstop situation because uh, Luis Arias has for the most part been really good. But when he hasn't been really good, he's been really bad. And that caught up with him to a point where he did not appear in yesterday's game. And there are certainly some questions that are being asked about what he's going to, uh, what you're going to get out of him moving forward. So we'll talk about the Brewers shortstop situation. We'll do that next. This is Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Back with more Brewers Weekly after this. Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Back with you as the Brewers are off today. They get back at it tomorrow playing Cincinnati for the first time. It's kind of funny that they're playing Cincinnati for the first time as we're past the quarter mark of the season. And it feels like they have played the Cubs a ton. It feels like they've played St. Louis a fair amount. They had that one series against Pittsburgh. Finally going to uh, match up against uh, Cincinnati, a team that at times can give the Brewers a little bit of trouble. So we'll see how uh, how that goes beginning tomorrow night for a three-game series. If you want to join us, 855-616-1620. The Brewers yesterday started Pablo Reyes at shortstop. And this was after Luis Arias had his second consecutive two-air game. And of his nine heirs that he has committed this year, Arias, seven of the nine have come in three games. And his, if, 
if the nine airs come in nine different games, or even if the nine airs come in eight different games, or they're not bunched up together where you can say uh, you see the, the four airs in two games, if there was just some space between the airs, we wouldn't be talking about them. Uh, it wouldn't be a thing. Uh, the, so this isn't so much about the total number of airs. It's more about them happening in bunches, uh, both from an in-game perspective and in a kind of you know in back-to-back games as well. We're I feel like we're at a crossroads with him, and maybe I'm making too big of a deal of this. I probably am, but I'll still I'll still go here because I, I I do feel like we're at a little bit of a crossroads here. And Craig Council and, and, and certainly others have have spoken about it, when when you're dealing with what he's dealing with, where the defensive mistakes are coming a little bit too often. All of a sudden, it changes from being a physical problem to being a mental problem. And mental problems are tougher to deal with. You're not hitting the way you want to hit. You can go work on stuff. You're you're not fielding the ball because your technique is wrong. Well, you can get out early and you can go work on the technique. But if it's not a technique issue, if it's not a physical issue, if it's a mental issue... Like, how do you work on that? And I, I'm going, I'm going to an area that that I'm not even real comfortable with. Now, teams employ people who are there to help, you know, mental skills coaches or whatever they happen to to call them. And I think that's a great part of sports. I think that's something that, as that has entered the all levels of sports here, I think over the last ten years or so, that's been something that has been really, really good. And at one point, it was kind of made fun of. Uh, you heard about a, a team hiring a mental skills coach. And you go, what? A mental skills coach? Give me a break. And, and now we're at a point where I think most people are very accepting of that. And most people are very uh, understanding and even uh, get why it's there. So I, I say all that to say when, when you're dealing with emotional stuff, mental stuff, that's really tough. And it's it's not just something that's easy. Uh, that's what they're dealing with right now with Luis Arias. So him coming out of this is a, is an important thing. You know, when when he committed the two errors the first Kansas City game, so then at that point he had committed two errors in back-to-back games, my thought was, you got to give this guy a day. you got to give this guy a day. A lot of times, and generally I'm wrong on this, but a lot of times if I see a player have a really bad defensive day, more often than not, I want to see that guy back in the lineup the next day because you want to get that bad defensive performance in the rearview mirror as quickly as you possibly can. And if you have a bad defensive day and then you're back in the lineup uh, the next day, you can do that. But if you're on the bench the next day, then that last performance is just its just sitting there. It's simmering. And so more often than not, if somebody's got a tough defensive day, I, I would just rather see them back in the lineup the next day. Let them let them get that out of their system. It was different for for whatever reason. It just felt different with with Urias, and maybe it has something to do with the the response of Craig Council, because after that first game against Kansas City, uh, essentially Council said after the game that you know for them to be a championship level team, a team that's going to go win a bunch of games, a team that's going to get into the postseason. They can't have their shortstop out there committing multiple errors in consecutive games. That's got to be better. 
So it's just it's something to to watch moving forward. Pablo Reyes did a nice job. You know, a lot of people are already jumping onto the well. Who did they go find? Uh, I don't think we're there yet. Luis Arias is still the starting shortstop for the Milwaukee Brewers. That doesn't mean he's in the lineup tomorrow. Maybe they determined that he needs a little extra time. You know, they determined that Keston here needed some time before he went down to Nashville. Uh, they gave him about a week or so from him being taken off the Major League roster to when he had to report to AAA. And uh, Will Salmon actually kind of at The Athletic wrote a little bit about it, and I would certainly encourage you to read it. Um, that was good for him. Getting a little bit of time away might be good. So maybe Luis Arias is not back in the starting lineup tomorrow. Either way, uh, just something to keep an eye out for because he's, again, I said crossroads before. Just as all of a sudden he deals with probably the most amount of professional adversity that he has had, being a starting shortstop for a major league team and having a really tough couple days in a row, how does he bounce back from that? It's going to be uh, interesting to watch how that plays out. 855-616-1620, 855-616-1620. That's the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You can tweet into the program as well, at Matt Pauley on air. We're back with more in a moment on WTMJ. Back with more Brewers Weekly after this. It's Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Continuing on on a Thursday, no Brewers baseball day. Another off day. They get back at it as they're going to wrap up this uh, miniature five-game road trip. Two games in Kansas City, both losses, and now they will play a three-game series against Cincinnati. 6-10 first pitch on Friday, 3-10 on Saturday, and 12-10 coming up on Sunday. Programming note... If you tune in to WTMJ and you hear Bucks playoff basketball and you're going, where's the Brewers? I love the Bucks. I'd like to listen to the Bucks, but I'd also like to listen to the Brewers. Where are the Brewers? The Brewers will be over on Sister Station 94.5 ESPN. That works well, too, because if you're in the car, uh, you can just press the AM-FM button and just toggle between the two because we're on AM. You got 620 there, then you go 94.5 on the FM. You don't have to be pressed, you know, doing this, the presets or anything like that. You just press the same button over and over, the AM, FM button, and you can just flip between the two. 855-616-1620. It's the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jerry is in Oak Creek. Hey, Jerry, you're on WTMJ. When the Brewers traded that shortstop to Atlanta, I forget his name. Orlando Arcia? Yep. Do you think maybe he's better than what they have now? It's an interesting question, Jerry. Uh, at the at, at this exact moment, he might be. He might be uh, there because I mean, you look at what he, he's he's had more time in the big leagues. Uh, he has performed at times at a very high level at the big leagues. He has also performed at times at a uh, not so high level in the big leagues. I think the Brewers, actually I don't think, I know, the Brewers were frustrated with the inconsistent nature of his production, and they were ready to move on. So the question, is, and Jerry, I'm not, I'm not criticizing your question, but I actually think your question is secondary to the issue. The, the question to ask is, will Luis Arias eventually be better than Orlando Arcia? And that's a to-be-determined. We don't know. We'll have to see. The Brewers believe he will be. The Brewers absolutely, 100%, without a doubt, do believe in him. They don't go acquire him. In all likelihood, Orlando Arcia would have been off this team and traded earlier had 
Arias not had the COVID issues last year and been slow coming into the season. You know, the, the kind of trade they make this year is probably a trade they would have made last year. They, they went out and acquired Luis Arias to be the shortstop. And, you know, that the whole thing they did when they started putting Arcia at third base a little bit, that was, that was never going to work. He was never going to hit enough for it to make sense at third base. It was always going to look weird when you've got Luis Arias at shortstop and Orlando Arcia at third base. You're just going, what, what's, what's going on here? So it was, it, those two were never going to coexist on the same roster for an extended amount of time. Is your question uh, right now at this very moment? Are you getting more production out of Orlando Arcia than than, than Luis Urias? Maybe, maybe. I'm not going to even run away from that. Maybe. Although, at the same time, he had a horrendous spring from an offensive standpoint, and he was not hitting at the beginning of the season. Now, maybe you blame that on him trying to learn third base. It's a very common thing. You got a guy trying a new position, and all of a sudden their offense suffers. But it could just have been another example. I mean, when you think about the history of Orlando Arcia with this organization, how many times has he been sent down? How many times has he been sat down for a weekend? Like it was just a, it was a constant battle, seemingly, of always challenging him to try to get the most out of him. And at some point, you can't challenge a guy anymore. At some point, he's just got to be the guy that he is. You can't always be trying to create these external pressures to get the most out of somebody. So they think Luis Arias is going to be the guy uh, moving forward, a guy who can be more consistent, a guy who can be uh, very good defensively, a guy who can hit. Uh, that's a, he's not hitting right now, but there's been periods of time this year where he's been one of the better hitters in the lineup. That's not saying a whole lot for a lineup that has really struggled. But when, when Luis Arias is at his best, uh, he is at least as good as Orlando Arcia, if not better. And they think that they're going to get even more out of that moving forward, or more out of him moving forward. All right, we're going to shift gears. Craziness. Craziness going on in Chicago. You knew there would be a little bit of crazy when Tony LaRusso reentered Major League Baseball as a manager. I don't know if you could see this coming. We're going to go straight to the source. I guess not straight to the source. Tony's not coming on the program today. But uh, Jared Willis covers uh, Chicago baseball for uh, the Sun-Times and also Forbes Sports. We'll get his take on what the heck is going on with the White Sox. As they, and all the while, they still keep winning baseball games. We'll do that next. It's Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. More Brewers Weekly coming up on WTMJ. This is Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Umpire's opinion, going obvious to me. Guy threw a sinker and you know didn't look good. <clears throat> so I, I I I didn't have I wasn't that suspicious. That suspicious somebody throws in somebody's head. And they're not suspicious. So I don't, I don't I don't have a problem with how the twins handle that. That was Tony Larusa defending a pitcher who threw at one of his guys. That's the that's the world we're living in. 2021, Tony Larusa back managing, defending opposing pitchers throwing at his own guys because his guy had the gall to hit a 3-0 pitch from a position player out for a, for a home run the day before. A lot to get to here. Let's uh 
Let's bring in a guy who covers uh, Chicago baseball for the Sun-Times, also at uh, Forbes Sports. He is uh, Jared Willis. You can follow him on Twitter, J-W-Y-L-L-Y-S. One of my favorite folks to talk baseball with. Hey, Jared, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I am good. Um, look, I, I, I think I know where you stand on this, but let's start with this. I don't know if I could ever remember such a lightning rod issue where it seemed like Everybody, and if not everybody, 99.9% of everybody kind of came out on the same side, and that's that Larusa is wrong on this. I mean, this is this is incredible how this is not a 50-50 sort of argument. Nobody seems to agree with him right now. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I don't know that I've come across anybody who's who's coming down on Larusa's side in this in this discussion you know i'm sure there's a, a handful of people out there but the overwhelming majority of the reaction has been um that he's he's in the wrong here and and two that a lot of that reaction is coming from players you know both active players and retired players you know they're not they're not on board with with larissa's stance on this one i i have to wonder because i i do know that we we know how Larusa feels about the game of baseball and what it means to him. And I just every time like okay, forget about like the, the the random former player, but there's there's Hall of Famers who have basically come out and said he's wrong. And I know what Larusa is one of those guys who he's going to value the opinion of a Hall of Famer more than he values the opinion of somebody else. Do you think he hears that noise at all when some of these people who he probably holds in very high regard are being very negative towards his stance on things? Yeah, I mean, I'd have to think that some of it gets to him, um, meaning that, you know, he becomes aware of it. Um, but I think, you know, I, I think a lot of the noise, um, a lot of the reaction because of where it takes place, and that's largely on, you know, social media and things like that, I just don't think it crosses into his radar. Because um, when he was asked about it earlier this week, he genuinely seemed unaware of just how much of a reaction there was. Um but, you know, again, when somebody, you know, take like C.C. Sabathia, who is, you know, pretty, you know, was very outspoken, very plain about how he felt about it. I think some of that has got to got to get back to La Russa. Um, but, you know, he's the kind of guy that like I, I don't think it's going to affect him all that much either way. Yeah, he had the, uh, you know, Lance Lynn said something and his response about Lance Lynn was, He's got a locker. I've got an office. I mean, is that just a microcosm of how Tony Larusa feels about everything? Yeah, yeah, and and it's not. He's not saying that about a rookie pitcher. He's saying, you know, this is Lance Lynn, who's been in the league for over a decade. Um, you know, this is a veteran pitcher and the kind of guy who, you know, typically you might think of as being more of an old school baseball kind of guy. And even he's he's coming out against Larusa. La, uh, excuse me, Larusa here. Um, but yeah, you know, to, to say something like that about Lynn, this isn't, you know, this isn't a guy who just got called up two weeks ago. Um, that's, to me, that's a pretty big indicator of how he views his players, how he views his clubhouse, and if he's not careful, um, his it's not going to be his clubhouse for much longer. 
Yeah, okay, so let's go there for a second because, first off, the White Sox are winning a lot of games and they're playing good baseball. And I know a lot of, I, I talk to a lot of White Sox fans who say that's happening in spite of Larusa, not because of Larusa. And I don't think that's completely fair to him. He's doing something to help that team win. But a, there is a coaching technique out there where uh, a coach will sit there and say, okay, I'm going to make the team hate me and then they'll come together. Now, I think that's something that's done at the high school level or the college level. I think that's done in basketball. Maybe it's done in football. That doesn't – I don't know if you do that with professionals playing baseball at the major league level at a 162-game season, but like that's that's one of the few things that I can think of that is, – is there any of that there that maybe it is the player somewhat uniting against a guy who they don't really like his stance on, on, on these type of things, if that makes sense? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a it's a reasonable possibility. I don't know that he's you know he he's going to be deliberate enough to try to cause that to happen. Um, you know, he on one hand, like he does know that this is a team that's playing with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. They they've been viewed as you know underdogs for quite a while. They're not you know not super high expectations. Now they come into this season with a lot of hype, but you know, they, they sort of play as if they're, you know, they're not viewed as the team that's expected to do a lot of winning, even though I think most people, especially by now, know that they are. And so he could be playing into that a little bit, like, hey, let me try to, you know, get these st- guys stirred up. But the, the one thing that is hard for me with that possibility is by getting them to go ag- to turn against you as a manager, that feels a little bit like that can backfire so easily or that can you know, that can unravel a clubhouse during the course of a season really easily if you're not careful. You know, it's not like a, a manager purposely getting himself tossed from a game to get his guys right. fired up. You know, this is kind of like, hey, now we're, we're all against you and we're posting things on Twitter and Instagram where we're kind of like, <laughs> you know, we're throwing a little shade at our manager. Um, that's that, that, can, that can get ugly pretty fast. Where, how do you think Jerry Ransdorf feels about this whole thing? I, you know, I think what it comes down to is I I think he's fine with it because I think everyone's talking about his team right now. Um, And, you know, at the end of the day, he's got his championships. He's, you know, they've won it under his watch, um, but he's found a way to get his team at the forefront of the baseball conversation in a season where, you know, there's a lot of other things we could be talking about, you know, what Shohei Otani's doing in, in, with the Angels, you know, the, the Giants somehow leading the NL West um, so far at least. But what are we all talking about? We're talking about Tony La Russa and the White Sox. So I think from Jerry Reinsdorf's seat, he's, you know, he's fine with it. Like, fine, we can be the lightning rod. We can be, you know, some controversy. But everybody's talking about and thinking about my team. Before I get you out of here, I'd be remiss without mentioning the Cubs. They've won four of their last five. They they struggled for much of the season. We're, I I don't I don't watch them on an everyday basis, so I, I'm not the right one to comment on this. But it, it, to me, it still feels like we're still learning who this team is. Is that a is that a correct assessment, or am I wrong there? No, I, I think that's pretty fair. I think they're the team has changed enough from even a couple of years ago that. There, you know, there's 
it's going to take some time to figure out, you know, just what they have here. Um, you know, my sort of, you know, as I look at it and I watch them on a near daily basis, they kind of look to me right now like a 500 baseball team, which is what's, you know, what's proving to be true so far into this, this, you know, at this point in the season. Um, I think there's some potential for some guys to really step up and, and do some good things and, you know, turn out to be good players. You know, Advert Alzali in the, in the rotation is, is showing a lot of promise. He, he's a young guy who there's a, a potentially an exciting future there. But the reality is this, te- this is a team that's probably going to be active at the trade deadline. Um, so even if they're sitting a, maybe a game or two above 500 a month or so from now, the long-term plan for them is still – Chris Bryant's probably getting traded, maybe even a a couple of other guys. So the second half of this season for them is is likely to look a lot different. The rumblings were how they played in the month of May could determine how uh, how they go about things at the trade deadline. They've played pretty well in the month. Do you buy that? Or outside of them just moving into first place of the division and just taking control of it, is this still going to be a team that almost no matter what is making moves? Yeah, I, I think that's the only circumstance where they, they don't make the trades that we expect them to make. If they find, they find a way to go on a hot streak and they move into first place by the end of this month, I can see them saying, okay, maybe we want to hold on to some of these guys and reevaluate our long-term plan. But if they're still sitting about where they are now, which is around 500 and kind of going back and forth between second, third, even fourth place in the division. Yeah. It's, it's going to, it's going to be sell time pretty quickly. He is Jared Willis. He covers Chicago baseball for uh, the Sun-Times, and also you can uh, read him at Forbes Sports. Follow him on Twitter at JWYLLYS. Jared, thanks for your thoughts on uh, on everything, especially the La Russa stuff. It certainly is uh, really interesting things going on right now uh, with the White Sox, but they just keep winning baseball games. But thanks so much for your time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Awesome. There's Jared Willis joining us here on WTMJ. I'll give you my thoughts on Larusa, and they 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 echo many of the things he said, but not a hundred percent. Because again, I think one place like this guy is still a Hall of Fame manager. You can say whatever you want about him, and I don't agree with the stuff that he's pulling, but he's still a Hall of Fame manager, and you don't just lose everything. So uh, we'll touch on that coming up in just a moment here on WTMJ. More Brewers Weekly with Matt Foley coming up on WTMJ. Brewers Weekly with Matt Foley on WTMJ. Just want to put a bow on this Larusa conversation because I, I think it's I think it's incredibly interesting. Uh, just as we watch kind of the uh, the evolution of the game of baseball and then what's happening there. First off, the whole not. Hit, you know, swinging at a 3-0 pitch, we're done with that. That's not a thing anymore. We we have moved on from that. And I think the most the most damning indictment of Larusa when it comes to that is nobody's sitting there saying, "Yeah, Larusa's right on that." No one. Now you, that doesn't mean you have to swing 3-0 if you personally think, you know what, we're up 10 plus runs and it's the eighth inning and they got a position player. I'm, I'm not going to swing 3-0. If that's your personal choice, that's fine. But to say that there is this mandate about it, there, there's not. That's, that is something we talk about the unwritten rules of baseball. I would argue that that is no longer an unwritten rule. And so pitchers, pitchers have said it. 
if 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 you want to hit swing three zero against me and I give up a home run, I give up a home run, even if it's a position player. And it, you you can't turn ask a guy to turn their competitive juices off simply because of the score. Uh, the the biggest issue I have with Larusa, and this actually really surprised me when when he defended the Twins pitcher throwing at his guy. Bad look. That's that's the one right there. That's the one right there where I really take issue. As a leader, as a manager, as someone who is out there who is supposed to be the front line to your team, you defend your team to a fault. That's what good leaders do. It doesn't even have to be sports. It can be the manager at the convenience store who's got somebody working for him. If you want to be a good leader, if you want to be a great leader, you always defend your people. Always. Now, maybe you defend them out front, and then you have a conversation with them behind closed doors. But you defend them. You defend them to the end. Because you go defend them like that, they're going to run through a freaking wall for you. That's what you do as a leader. And Tony LaRusso has proven to be a really good leader throughout his managerial career. He's a Hall of Fame manager. That was a mistake. That was a big mistake when he sat there and basically defended the way the Twins handled the situation. And I would say, I would say shame on Tony LaRusso for that. If you want to be upset about your guy swinging 3-0, it's antiquated, it's dumb. Saying it publicly was not something to do. Uh, but to defend your uh, somebody throwing at one of your guys, that is, that's bad. That's really bad. That's, that's the moment where I just hop off the train. At the same time, and I, I don't think anybody out there is giving Larusa any credit, any credit for what the White Sox are doing from a win-loss perspective. The White Sox are twenty-six and sixteen. They are twenty-six and sixteen. They have the best record in the American League, and they're only a game back of the San Francisco Giants for the best record in all of baseball. They're not doing it completely in spite of Tony Larusa. Maybe some things I talked about earlier with Jared Willis about in some ways are there going to be is the clubhouse going to be grouping together against what's going on from the manager's office that could there could be a little bit of that, but this guy didn't forget how to manage baseball games, and he's always been I mean, Brewers fans know this from his time with the Cardinals, the they're they don't his teams didn't give an inch and it was it was frustrating and it was annoying and. At times, it seemed borderline mean-spirited the way they were about, you know, going through things. Uh, but there was a there was an edge, there was a grindiness, and perhaps he has brought some of that to the White Sox. And maybe as a young team, that's what they needed, and all that other stuff that's going on. I mean, he's out of touch in so many ways. He's out of touch in so many ways. But maybe that stuff actually doesn't matter. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. Crazy stuff going on in baseball this week when it comes to him. And all the no-hitters, we didn't even get into that. We'll touch on that for just a moment uh, before we get out of here. Brewers Weekly wraps up in uh, just a moment here on WTMJ. Catch more Brewers Weekly coming up on WTMJ. This is Brewers Weekly with Matt Foley on WTMJ. Brewers off today, back at it tomorrow. They are going to open up a series against Cincinnati. Just about a... a Two minutes left in the program. I want to touch on this real quick, and maybe we'll be able to spend some more time on it in future Brewers Extra Innings, maybe on the podcast this weekend, WTMJ.com, Brewers Extra Innings podcast. Two more no-hitters this week. Six no-hitters this season. 
And I, you know who I felt bad for? <laughs> I felt bad for Corey Kluber. Because we're that's a that's a huge moment for him where we're supposed to be celebrating a no hitter and that was the moment where everything turned and everybody's saying is this too many no hitters and it probably is and it's just look there's a problem in baseball this is just this is just kind of the front door to the problem in baseball where balls are not being put in play enough and the game is not as fun it's not as exciting major league baseball is going to try to fix it I don't I don't know how you fix it. Hopefully people who are a lot smarter than me, and that probably doesn't take much, but hopefully people who are a lot smarter than me are going to be working on this thing. It does feel like there's too many no-hitters right now, which is not a not a sentence I ever expected to come out of my mouth, but but here we are. It's uh, a lot of nuance to it. We don't, we don't have a whole lot of time right now, but certainly a lot of nuance to this discussion, but just no-hitters seemingly coming fast and furious in Major League Baseball. All right, Brewers and the Reds tomorrow. 6-10 first pitch. I will talk to you immediately following the game for Brewers Extra Innings here on WTMJ.